0: It's Monday January 6th 2020 it's the second week of 2020 and it's the first Monday that Tom Brady hasn't been under contract with the New England Patriots in over 20 years 2020 is already off to a hot start it already has something that the 2000s and the 2010s didn't have and that's an unrestricted free agent named Tom Brady will he stay or will he go that seems to be the buzz around the league right now, even though the Titans found a way to win the game the other night, the game of their lives, basically, and nobody's talking about that. Congrats to Mike Frabel's squad on a big-time win in Foxboro. Great offensive play calling throughout the entire game. They're going on to face Lamar Jackson and the Baltimore Ravens next weekend. But just as soon as I give them credit for a hard-fought win, I'm going to be like every other sports insider out there and talk about the loser because it's a very interesting concept. Tom Brady being a free agent at the age of 42. Is he worth a big-time contract at the age of 42? No doubt that there's going to be teams that are interested, but are there teams that need Tom Brady? We'll talk a little bit about that. We're also going to talk about the reasons why Tom would ultimately leave the city of Boston, the town of Foxborough. Some of the disagreements he's had with Bill Belichick and Robert Kraft over the past decade are well documented. We'll get into that and much more concerning the greatest quarterback of all time. A recap of Wild Card Weekend. And a sneak peek going into the divisional round weekend here on episode 137 presented by Belly Up Sports. Remember to use the promo code OSHO10, that's capital O-S-H-O-W-10, for $10 off your next order using TickPick.com. You should have used TickPick, as well as the promo code OSHO20, that's capital O-S-H-O-W-20, for $20 off your next order at Mecca Nutrition. If you're into banging weights, eating steaks, and sleeping aids, let's talk packs. So after another 12 and four regular season campaign, another 12 and four regular season, I think they've gone 12 and four every year over the past 20 years, and their first AFC wildcard game appearance since 2009. They've had a, a first round bye in the AFC postseason every year for the past decade. The New England Patriots, their 2019 season came to an end last night or two nights ago, excuse me, with a 20-13 loss at the hands of the now surging Tennessee Titans. Who would have thought? This marks the first season since Super Bowl 50, February of 2016. That was the Broncos and the Panthers that the New England Patriots will not be representing the AFC in the Super Bowl. They've made the Super Bowl the past three years, 51, 52, 53. But however, despite the loss and the fact that Mike Vrabel and Derrick Henry may have ended the most formidable dynasty in sports right before our very eyes, the talk of the town after Saturday night's game, like I mentioned, still revolves around the losers and Tom Brady and Bill Belichick. As the clock struck zero at the end of the fourth quarter on Saturday night, Tom Brady officially became an unrestricted free agent for the first time in his illustrious career, leading to, again, much buzz around the league concerning the six-time world champion's future, whether it's in New England or elsewhere. Who knows where he might end up? And despite the belief that this could, in fact, be the end of a 20-year romance between the greatest quarterback of all time and arguably the greatest NFL head coach of all time— It's hard to believe that Brady would actually walk away from a city and an organization that achieved 20 years of pure dominance. I mean, despite being 42 years of age, Robert Kraft knows exactly what he's getting out of Tom Brady when he steps foot out on that football field. He's getting a three-time NFL Most Valuable Player. With the third honor coming in 2017, he won MVP at age 40 when they won the Super Bowl back in uh, uh, the, uh, 51. I think it was 52. So 52, they lost the Super Bowl to the Eagles, but he won the MVP because he had a, such a great offensive season. And a quarterback who is already itching to get back on the field after a rather disappointing performance against Tennessee on Saturday night. You just saw the look in his eyes. He's not retiring, not after that game. He he got no help in that game, had no help through the final stretch of the season. I know they started the year off 7-0. Uh, they end up losing uh, four of their final, what was it, four of their final nine games. But we've also seen Bill Belichick rip the Band-Aid off, so to speak, with other aging talents that were beloved in Foxborough, Mass., including uh, Chandler Jones, Wes Welker, Jamie Collins, Malcolm Butler, among others. You know. And with that being said, though, Tom Brady is not Chandler Jones, Tom Brady is not Wes Welker, Tom Brady is not Jamie Collins, he's not Malcolm Butler, and the chances of Tom Brady choosing retirement at the end of the 2019 season are slim to none, like I just said, like not after that game. However, the thought of Brady in another NFL uniform during the 2020 season is always going to seem a little bit unsettling, especially to Patriots fans around the globe already waiting patiently for the verdict on the beloved hero. Given Brady's sheer dominance over the AFC East since 2001, though, it would be foolish of Bill Belichick and Robert Kraft to let Tom walk this easily, as there is also currently no clear direction for the quarterback position in Foxborough without Brady. And uh, throughout their 20-year partnership, it's been no secret that Bill Belichick and Tom Brady have had their disagreements, dating back to as recently as 2018, when ESPN released a long story uh, detailing the serious disagreements between Tom Brady, Bill Belichick, and Robert Kraft. But despite those hard times, the trio had been able to capture six world championships, which is tied for the most in NFL history with the Steelers, except they did it in less than two decades. And they also won nine AFC championships. So given how the trio has defined the word champion in the NFL as well as in the city of Boston over the past two decades— I would be hard to believe it would be hard to believe that Tom Brady and Bill Belichick would just walk away from each other after one disappointing season. It has been notoriously known that for years that the 14-time Pro Bowl quarterback has taken pay cuts in order for the Patriots to use money elsewhere to bring in talent to surround him. However, this time around, Brady seems to be wanting the paycheck as well. And at age 42, New England may not be willing to grant him that payday. So despite that fact, there aren't many talented teams that are in desperate need for a quarterback as Brady's ideal fit outside of New England would be a legitimate contender who has the offensive talent to help the four-time Super Bowl MVP because he is 42 he says he wants to play till he's 45 he's not going to the jets he's not going to the giants he's probably not going to the cowboys he's going to a contender and unless Drew Brees decides to hang up his cleats in New Orleans after the 2019 season or Los Angeles decides to move on from Philip Rivers there aren't that many ideal fits for the 42-year-old veteran. Despite that fact, though, it wouldn't be shocking in the least to see contending teams make room in order to qualify for his services. Come training camp in July, though, the chances of Tom Brady donning a New England Patriots uniform for the 21st consecutive season seems like the likely scenario, at least in my eyes, as we've seen this song and dance in seasons past. I mean, we've seen the Patriots lose tough playoff matchups to teams that they weren't supposed to lose to due to lack of offense and defensive help in certain areas. We saw them lose to the Ravens in 09 in the wild card matchup. We saw them lose to the Jets in the 2010 season after going 14 and 2. In 2019, Tom Brady did not have the elite weapons that he needed to to succeed. It wouldn't be shocking to see New England stock up offensively for the 2020 season and make a heavy run for their star quarterback in the last two decades in free agency this spring because Tom Brady will be looking to ring in his third decade in red and white with a seventh world championship. What will happen? We're going to have to wait to find out. However, don't think for a second that the dynasty in Foxborough came to an end on Saturday night because in all likelihood it's not over and we may still see another another uh, banner ...being placed in Gillette Stadium in Foxborough come 2021 or 2022. It's pretty likely. Everyone wants it to be over, but I I just don't believe it's over. I think it's far from over, to be honest. But I also wanted to get into the story that ESPN released in late 2018... ...concerning the, the disagreements between Tom Brady, Bill Belichick... ...and Robert Kraft, CEO and owner, head coach, greatest quarterback of all time. It was Michael Hurley of CBS Boston that put this out... And uh, I think it was uh, a 4,600-word story which uh, questioned whether it is the beginning or the end of the dynasty in New England for the Patriots, the run involving Robert Kraft, Bill Belichick, and Tom Brady. And the story was seemingly inspired by both of the teams' sudden change, of course, on uh, Jimmy G, Jimmy Garoppolo at the time, who was the backup quarterback for Brady and the team's uh, limiting access to Tom Brady's trainer and the business partner, Alex Guerrero. It was Seth Wickersham's who set out to dig for deeper reasoning for moves that on the surface, it seemed to indicate some friction and disagreement among the three most important power brokers in the franchise and the Patriots, uh, contesting the story, telling Wickersham that he had included several inaccuracies and in multiple examples, given that absolutely did not occur. Like, they, it was blasphemy. They denied this like they denied all those cheating scandals. Yet, citing uh, interviews with more than a dozen New England staffers, executives, even players and league sources within knowledge of the team's inner workings, Wickersham reported on serious agreements or serious disagreements among the three men. And here's a brief uh, synopsis about some of those di- of those disagreements. Some staffers inside the Patriots organization believed that this might be the final year that Kraft, Belichick, and Brady worked together because Wickersham described a palpable sense in the building that this might be the last year that they worked together in, in New England. Obviously, they've gone two more years. But how that shakes out, is hard to tell. Robert Kraft surely won't sell the team. Brady is under contract through 2019, and now he's a free agent and is in position to win multiple Super Bowls in the next few years. He's 42, but he's still one of the greatest quarterbacks in the league today, and his uh, TB12 center operates out of Patriots' place. And Belichick certainly would not leave a job where he has total roster control and is never questioned about his football decisions for an organization that didn't offer both. So if Bill Belichick were to leave the New England Patriots, then his affinity for the New York Giants football team, the New York football Giants, would figure to to factor in, you would think. But the Giants already have hired a new GM in Dave Gettleman, which would seemingly rule them out for a potential surprising jumping of ship from uh, Belichick. I mean, the Bears, the Cardinals... Colts and Lions all have GMs in place as well. But nevertheless, Wickersham suggests that the Patriots are, quote-unquote, threatening to come undone the only way possible, and that's from within. And just on Saturday night after the game, Belichick was asked about Brady's future, and he declined to comment. He has no idea. I mean, this is going to fill up a lot of talk shows, a lot of radio shows over the next several weeks leading into the spring about Tom Brady's future in New England. Another thing that Wickersham found out was Alex Guerrero, Brady's trainer in the TB12 center, uh, they refused to treat Jimmy Garoppolo for two weeks after his injury. In what may be the most vivid picture painted, Wickersham described Garoppolo essentially banging on a closed door in an effort to receive treatment on his injured shoulder back in 2016 when he was the backup for Tom Brady. Uh, and he quotes, as he later told Patriot staffers when he arrived, the door was locked. That's what Wickersham said of Jimmy G. He knocked. Nobody was there. He called TB12 trainers, but nobody answered. He couldn't believe it. Garoppolo told staffers that uh, on that night, it ended up visiting the team's trainers instead. He ended up visiting the team's trainers. And Guerrero vehemently denied ever refusing to see any player, and Jimmy G was eventually treated at TB12. But it was two weeks after he showed up for his original appointment and only after a high-ranking Patriots staffer called TB12 to inquire why Jimmy G hadn't been admitted. So the story is used to uh, describe the contentious relationship between Tom Brady and Jimmy Garoppolo, something that Brady has publicly denied. But Wickersham said Brady felt, uh, quote-unquote, liberated after the team traded Jimmy Garoppolo in late October of that year. And Kraft hugged Brady when he saw him that week in uh, full view of teammates. That's what Wickersham said. And a few days after, uh, later during practice, some players and staffers noted that Tom Brady seemed especially excited, hollering, uh, screaming, you know, let's go. Brady was uh, once again the team's present and the future, and the owner was in Brady's corner. He won. That's what a Patriots staffer said. And worth noting here, Robert Kraft is an affectionate man. and His hugs and, quite frankly, his smooches, his kisses with teammates are captured in photos on a weekly basis and on video on a weekly basis. As for Brady's standard level of yelling, well, that's, that's hard to know because some players believe the TB12 method is a cult. Brady's no doubt been obsessive about his training methods and eating habits as evidenced by his training center his book his line of exercise equipment and dietary supplements and much more some believe it may have gone a little bit too far i mean the method also was uh consuming and unwavering in its rules and convictions that while it helped some players it felt like a cult to others and that's what one patriot staffer said and the way TB12 began to creep into Brady's life worried people that were close to Tom Brady many of whom were suspicious of Guerrero at the time and Tom changed said a friend of Tom Brady's, a close friend that's where a lot of these problems started and many Patriots players and staff believe that Tom Brady is a good man who has a hard time saying no to Guerrero. And Kraft and Belichick actually held a very long meeting that ended with a mandate to trade Jimmy Garoppolo after that season. So Bill Belichick, who runs a tight schedule, so if he were to ever miss or cancel a meeting, it would have to be for an emergency only. But it appeared that uh, that happened two weeks prior to the trade deadline in a meeting between Robert Kraft and Bill Belichick that lasted half the day, some people said. The office was buzzing And the meeting ended with a clear mandate to Bill Belichick, trade Jimmy Garoppolo because he would not be in the team's long-term plans, and then once again, find the best quarterback in the draft and develop him. Belichick was furious, demoralized, according to friends. Jimmy G, we all see it now in San Francisco, would have been a great, a great superior, a great successor to Tom Brady, especially now. But it's noteworthy that Wickersham cited Belichick's friends because he did that in November november 2018 in an espn story about brady that was co-written by tom junod saying that belichick's friends believe that he'll only coach two or three more years that he wanted to coach garoppolo and win a super bowl with a quarterback not named tom brady and in a radio interview belichick denied uh, any of these claims any of these quotes and called it fake news undeteriated the friends are back there is a lingering sadness around the patriots the team in 2018, I think at the end of November, I think they went 13-3 and going into Super Bowl 52, but despite major injuries to Julian Edelman and Dante Hightower, the 40-year-old quarterback was the league's MVP. Tom Brady won his third MVP at the age of 40 in 2017, and the head coach will set a new record when he mans the sideline for his 37th postseason game. Uh, in 2018 obviously much more after that he's well past 40 now the the duo can further grow the gap between themselves and everyone else in history if they can win a seventh Super Bowl together next year if he comes back but for Kraft business is booming right now and yet there is a sadness Um, those interview described a lingering sadness around the team as if coaches and staff know that the end might be near here and the imminent exodus Uh, raises the question going forward because Josh McDaniels, who's the offensive coordinator, was going to leave for the Colts, then opted out, which was never seen before. I don't think we'll ever see that again. Matt Patricia, obviously the new head coach for the Detroit Lions, as of right now, he may leave. Is it possible that Bill Belichick would rather walk away than try to rebuild the staff with a 42-year-old Brady and another year of Guerrero drama, all while trying to develop a new quarterback. Appropriately, Wickersham actually answered his own question. Belichick being Belichick, those around him know nothing of his plans. And as evidence for this deep sense of urgency, Wickersham included this tidbit. He said, and I quote, Belichick seems to be grinding harder than ever as if more than a sixth championship is at stake. Before the Patriots played the Steelers in December of 2018, he told players, I brought you here for games like this. The Patriots won the game in thrilling fashion, as we all know. How that message differed from any other pregame message from the past 18 years is not clear at all. But Bill Belichick has apparently become friends with Roger Goodell. Talk about a bombshell, ladies and gents. The coach loves the commissioner, the same commissioner that suspended his quarterback for four games back in 2016. And uh, this is what Wickersham said. He said, Belichick has become very good friends with Goodell. The two men had a long and private meeting during the off week after the regular season back in 2018 when the commissioner visited Foxborough. All of the lines of this story that are difficult to believe It is truly hard to see how Belichick befriended the man solely responsible for tarnishing his legacy by regarding filming from the wrong location as cheating to the general public. Nevertheless, it's in there. It's in the article. And also of note, the team quietly parted ways with John Jastrzemski and Jim McNally, the two mysterious uh, protagonists, or antagonists, if you will, of Deflategate. And Tom Brady was mad that Belichick never named him Patriot of the Week. Although I feel like this is one of the more pity ones on this list in this article released by um, Wickersham. I mean, come on. I mean, consider this the second most difficult to believe part of the story. Patriot staffers have noticed that. Uh, this year, in 2019, more than ever, he seems to volley between unwavering confidence and driving insecurity. Brady has noted to, uh, to staff a few times this year that no matter how many game-changing throws he made, Bill Belichick hasn't awarded him Patriot of the Week all year long, and, and, and the greatest quarterback of all time being bent out of shape for not receiving an imaginary accolade from a coach seems difficult to believe. It almost seems as if the unnamed staffers who were interviewed might be might have been pulling the reporter's chain a little bit. That's how out of character this story seems to be. I mean, he's Tom Brady, six-time world champion, four-time Super Bowl MVP, three-time league MVP. I mean, come on. The story also indicated not one, but two things. One, that Bill Belichick has, as always, been critical of Brady's play in front of the team, and that Bill Belichick continued this method of coaching after Tom Brady had objectively Uh, He had a bad performance against the Texans in the divisional round uh, in 2017. Second, that Tom Brady does not like being lambasted in front of the team anymore. So what wasn't said, whether Tom Brady disagreed with Bill Belichick's assessment of the Texans' performance or not, according to Wickersham, Bill Belichick told the team, and I quote, this will get us beat we were lucky to get away with that win, and Tom Brady seemingly agreed wholeheartedly with that assessment, saying after his two-interception night, and I quote, we'll never turn the ball over as much as we did, and I think it was a great game. Is there a disagreement there? Doesn't seem so. Nevertheless, Alex Guerrero, we go back to the trainer here, Alex Guerrero was painted as a bit of a home wrecker. Not only does this story suggest that Guerrero is pushing the buttons of Tom Brady, but it also indicates that Guerrero may have actively tried to drive a wedge between players and Bill Belichick. And this is what uh, uh, Wickersham said. He said several players told staffers and coaches that Guerrero gave them the impression that Bill Belichick would no longer allow them to work with them. And in, in the view of many Patriots, it was the example of Guerrero trying to split the organization by turning players against Bill Belichick. He also wrote that players openly discussed with Patriots coaches, staff, and trusted advisors whether to follow Tom Brady or the team, leaving them trapped. He said, do we risk alienating the NFL's most powerful coach or risking alienating the NFL's most powerful quarterback? I don't know. One more thing to think about. As Brady gained power, so did Guerrero, who became even more deceiving, if you will, divisive, Uh, He became a more destructive force in the building. The message on Guerrero from Wickersham was pretty clear. The Patriots repeatedly tried to sign Jimmy Garoppolo to a contract extension, and he declined. Why is Jimmy Garoppolo no longer in New England? This is why. The Patriots repeatedly offered Jimmy Garoppolo a four-year contract extension in the seventeen million and $18 million range annually that would go higher if... If and when he succeeded Tom Brady, that's what Wickersham reported. And Garoppolo and his agent Don Yee rejected the offers out of hand for reasons that remain unclear, and the Patriots knew that they couldn't make any promises to Jimmy G about the timing of a transition at uh, quarterback without getting it back to Brady. And Jimmy Garoppolo wanted to be a starter, no doubt. Tom Brady was the best starting quarterback in the NFL in 2017. Jimmy Garoppolo's chance wasn't coming. A change was made. And Bill Belichick was and still is skeptical that Tom Brady could and can last into his 40s. Tom Brady apparently met with Robert Kraft about playing long-term, but Bill Belichick remained skeptical of a long-term contract extension. And his meeting with Tom Brady led to, I guess they said, quote-unquote, a little blow-up. And that's believable in the line with the way Bill Belichick has managed his roster over the years, as the head coach is unlikely to believe his player will be the one exception to aging and decline. The blow-up would be noteworthy, but regardless, we'll know how this problem ended and when and if Tom Brady signs a new contract in 2020. It's worth reiterating here that none of the charges or assertions have been confirmed by the Patriots, nothing from this article. But they deny everything. Given the team's sudden change in philosophy that led to trading Jimmy Garoppolo and given the team's sudden revoking access to Guerrero, it's been clear that there have been shifts in power dynamics within the organization these past few years. Whether that's a sign of dysfunction or whether it's an unavoidable aspect of doing business in the NFL, that remains up for debate. In the meanwhile, Wickersham's long piece will certainly become a talking point in football For, obviously, the next six months, you can actually email Michael Hurley or find him on Twitter, at Michael F. Hurley. And, of course, he writes for CBS Sports Boston. You can check this article out on CBSBoston.com. ESPN releases long story detailing serious disagreements among Brady, Belichick, and craft. With that being said, let's get into the other games that happened this weekend. But first, a quick word for Mecha Nutrition. Do you find yourself constantly working on your physique only to find no real results? Or are you officially fed up with your lack of progress in weight loss and weight gain programs? Then do I have a solution for you. Mecha Nutrition, build a better you. Choose from a variety of products including protein, carbohydrates, creatine, pre-workouts, vitamins and more. Why choose Mecca Nutrition? Mecca Nutrition is a family owned and operated sports nutrition store located in the heart of Bakersfield, California. Mecca's goal is to provide you the customer with the best customer service, nationally recognized products that you know are tried and true and most of all, they have the best prices around. If you have any questions or concerns, feel free to contact Mecha Nutrition via social media on Facebook and Instagram at Mecha Nutrition. You can email them or you can call the shop as well at 661-695-9061. Again, that's 661 695 nine zero six one i've been using mecca nutrition products for over a year and a half now and for someone with an extremely high metabolism i can tell you that these products work i gained nearly 25 pounds of muscle after using mecca's select products in the protein and carb aisle with products such as redcon one meal replacement protein and carbs as well as neil's hookups so feel free to call the shop or email mecca's general manager at neil or Neil at store.com Rumor has it, if you mention Mecha Nutrition, you may come away with an added discount as well, but you didn't hear it from me. So go check it out if you want to transform your body and get into the best shape possible right now. Mecha Nutrition, build a better you. So the Titans prevail in Foxborough, was it, 20 20-13 to over Tom Brady? May have played his final game, yada, yada, yada. We just got into that. Let's talk about the other matchup in the AFC Texans and the Bills. This one was an intriguing matchup to me personally because all I've seen the Texans do is lose in the first round at home every single year. They did it last year to the Colts. The Bills have been running roughshod over teams this year. A surprising year. They go 11-5, obviously. They didn't have the finish that they wanted Losing three of their last four games. I actually think they went 10-6 and because they lost to the Jets in Week 17. I mean, what the hell happened in Week 17? The Dolphins lost to the Pats. The the, the Giants couldn't muster a win against Philly because the Cowboys needed it. The, 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 the Bills lose to the Jets. So, I mean, what the hell's happening? But... Big matchup this weekend between two teams that either way is going to give uh, their opponent in the second week in the divisional round a tough matchup. Obviously, the Texans win, so they go on to face the Chiefs now, the Titans going on to face the Ravens. And all week long, one of the biggest themes, I think, leading up to Saturday's game between the Bills and the, uh, the Texans had been a little bit of history. Specifically, the Bills' comeback from being down 35-3 to to the Houston Oilers in a playoff game back in 1993, which is still the biggest comeback in the history of the NFL. 35-3, to came back and went 32-point deficit, and that infamous game tore a big piece in the soul of Houston football fans everywhere. And just a few years later, the Oilers would morph into the Tennessee Titans. And while the franchise was and probably still is essentially dead to most Houstonians, the wounds, I guess, still run pretty deep. So conjecture about this game on Saturday being some sort of opportunity for redemption was at very least intriguing. You got to look at those things. And I mean, it's a completely different franchise that coughed up that 32-point lead, but the fans that had to experience that game in 1993, that horrific event, if you're a Houston Oilers fan, the ones still uh, with us are likely mostly... Houston Texan fans these days you'd have to assume I have no idea how to quantify sadness especially if you're a Houston fan whatsoever it would be so much easier to have the conversation that I'm about to suggest if sadness had a score in other words it would be good to know if the Buffalo Bills come back in 1993 caused an overall sadness rating of like 92.3 or something because here's the thing the Texans 22-19 22-19 to 19 overtime win on Saturday could have not played out any better, at least suggest that there was some degree of redemption in the way that Texans beat the Bills by coming back from down 16 nothing in the third quarter to win the game. What I'm saying is, if we only knew that Bills fans had a sadness rating to equal or, or, or to, to, uh, than that of o- Oilers fans in 1993, then redemption is a logical destination. As it is, we can settle for this Houston Texans win being the most memorable in the history of the Houston Texans franchise. A swapping of haymakers and big plays, drama, execution that left every fan at NRG Stadium, uh, at least the ones wearing Texans gear at least, having gotten their money's worth. Now it's on to Kansas City. So let's do some winners and losers from this game. There were four winners and losers from last night's game. The first one being... Taiwan Jones. Up until Titans game in week 17, Jones had not had an offensive touch of the football all season long in the 2019 season. He had a handful of relatively meaningless but productive snaps in that week 17 loss to Tennessee. But for Jones to wind up on the receiving end of the play of the season would have been considered highly unlikely. So, Uh, Jones was the special teams captain for the Bills last season. So for him to do this against his former team, his former employer, if you will, probably felt extra special. And he told many reporters, uh, as much as his exclusive guest on the Texans postgame show following the win, uh, Jones is a great example of the NFL credo of being ready at any time for your number to be called, Great job by him. Another winner is Duke Johnson. So here's the other thing about that Watson to Jones play. It trumped what, up to that point, was going to be the most important play of the night. And if the Texans had gone on to score the winning points in some more boring, methodical, slow fashion that Deshaun Watson magically turned into Superman for a play... The Texans were facing a third and I think it was third and 18 from their 19 or 20 yard line, 19 yard line, which if they did not convert would have meant a punt and Buffalo likely only needing a few first downs to kick the winning field goal. Instead, instead... On a third and 18, Deshaun Watson, remember the day uh, uh, I think it was Farrah Fawcett died and everyone spent that morning celebrating her life? And then in that same afternoon, Michael Jackson died and then the Fawcett death got kicked to the curb to the news cycle. Well, the Watson to Jones play basically was Farrah Fawcett poor Duke Johnson. I won't I, I won't let that happen. Another winner in this game for the Texans had to be Deshaun Watson. It was not a great first half for Deshaun Watson at all, or anybody on the Texans for that matter. Down 13-0 going into the locker room at halftime. The second straight playoff game that saw Watson shut out in the first half. By the way, I was even questioning whether his clutch gene had been extinguished because more than a minute, Watson came out and shredded Buffalo in the second half, including... This touchdown run that got the Texans on the board and ignited the crowd. It was uh, uh, Deshaun Watson, a 20-yard pass uh, to get the Texans on the board. And then, of course, you got to look at J.J. Watt. I mean, the play, though, that really, really ignited the crowd came from the returning J.J. Watt. Watt made the miraculous comeback from his torn left pictorial muscle uh, last week by returning to the active roster on Tuesday. The big questions were, of course, A, how much would the Texans use him, and B, how would the muscle hold up? Because his recovery had been around two months, and for an injury that normally takes four to six months to heal all the way, uh, well, J.J. Watt was used sporadically throughout the first half, but as the urgency grew in the second half, down 16-0, Watt played more and more. His pivotal play came on a third down or a third quarter sack with the Bills driving to take a three-score lead, a play that kept the game at a, a still manageable two-score lead at the time. It was 16 nothing. So those are the winners on the Houston side, of course, because they won the game. Those are the winners you got to think of in that game. The losers, however... On the the Buffalo Bills side, you got to think, of course, Josh Allen. I mean, look, Allen does a lot of things that really scare you as an opposing fan. His 42-yard uh, run on the first drive of the game was a thing of beauty. And some of the throws he completed on third down, uh, throwing across his body on the run, are things that maybe he and Patrick Mahomes can do, and that's the entire list. However, until he gets a better presence in the pocket and until he just flat out becomes more accurate – this is going to be a beatable Bills team. The Bills are good. They're really good. Actually, I think Allen has the potential to be, to, to be an upper-tier quarterback in the league. However, ultimately, it was his second-half turnover and the and the, the slew of incompletions, 22 to be exact, that were the difference in this football game for Josh Allen. Uh, another one's got to be the slow starts. I mean, now as as a former... Uh, or this is what uh, Jeff Van Gundy always says we we cannot ignore in victory what we attend to in defeat the Texans continue to absolutely stink in the first quarter of games and in this particular game Not only did they did their streak of rather sucky first quarter offensive performances stay alive But they allowed an equally crappy offensive team uh, the Bills, to drive down the field in six plays and score what wound up being their only touchdown uh, on the first drive of the game. The Texans are headed to Kansas City for the divisional round on Sunday, and on their last trip there, they fell behind 17-3 to in the first quarter. They came back on that day in week six. This time around, that cannot happen. And, uh, of course, another loser in this game, if you're Buffalo Bills fans, is, and hear me out, Bills Mafia. Again, I repeat, I have no quantitative way to know if this loss on Saturday hurt Bills fans. Affectionately known as the Bills Mafia, more or less than the Bills 1993 comeback win over the Oilers, hurt Houstonians. What I do know is that for Bills fans that made the trek to Houston for the game, and there were a lot of them, that's a long, expensive trip home back to sub-freezing snowy weather. Also, it continues this fun fact. The last time the Bills won a playoff game, Jim Kelly was the starting quarterback, and he was facing Dan Marino. That was back in 1995, the 1995 season, back when the internet was barely a thing. Sleep tight, Bills fans, and stay warm. Sucks to be you. With that being said, let's get into the NFC matchups. It was Eagles-Seahawks, and it was vikings saints And before we get into this one, I I just have to say, I don't think we've ever seen a more entertaining wildcard weekend than we did this weekend, especially in the first three games. So you have the overtime victory by the Houston Texans coming back from 16-0 to win that one in overtime at home. And then the Patriots, uh, possibly Tom Brady's final game in New England, loses to the Tennessee Titans, a very close game throughout. Gillette Stadium was as loud as I've ever heard it ever before. And then in this game... Uh, I think the Saints were heavily favored in this game going up against the Vikings. The Vikings upset the Saints in overtime to move on to the next round to face the San Francisco 49ers. So Kirk Cousins hit Kyle Rudolph with a four-yard touchdown pass in overtime as the Vikings beat the Saints 26-20 in the wild-card matchup at the Superdome. The, the third down score was set up by a 43-yard pass from Kirk Cousins to Adam Thielen. That resulted on the Saints' two, I think, the two-yard line, and then the Vikings drove 75 yards in just four minutes, 15 seconds after taking the kickoff in overtime. So the Vikings, who blew a 10-point fourth-quarter lead, remember they were up big in this game, uh, Saints come all the way back. They'll play San Francisco on Saturday at 3.30 in the second round, in the divisional round. And uh, Kirk Cousins said it was a total team win after uh, going 19 for 31 for 242 total yards. He bought, He found Thielen seven times for 129 yards. He said the Saints are the real deal. This was a tough environment. The Fox broadcast showed the inside of the Vikings locker room where Cousins yelled, I got three words for you. You like that? Not the best three words to motivate your team, but it is what it is. The winning touchdown came when Kyle Rudolph was split left against the Saints cornerback. I believe it was P.J. Williams, and Cousins lobbed the ball to the left corner of the end zone. And then Kyle Rudolph, of course, what is he, 6'6", six, 6'7", six, six, pushed away from Williams, grabbed the pass high above his head. Uh, there was no official replay to determine the offensive pass interference, but when uh, the referees left that's when mike zimmer left he said when i saw the referees leaving i was leaving the vikings were a seven point underdog so yes they were the underdogs in this game seven point underdog in the game although mike zimmer guaranteed a victory beforehand and why wouldn't he? the head coach of the minnesota vikings he said that they wanted to go and win he told a bunch of defensive guys "We're not leaving nothing in the bag and dalvin cook's one-yard touchdown run midway through the third quarter put the Vikings ahead 20 to 10 at the time heading into the fourth quarter special shout out to the two fans that flipped off the camera by the goalposts after the extra point they made it 20 to 10 if you look closely zoom in closely there's two fans flipping off the camera you gotta like that stuff but early in the fourth quarter Saints quarterback Drew Brees found backup quarterback Taysom Hill for a 20-yard touchdown pass to cut the lead to three with about ten and a half minutes remaining. You don't see that every day. And then the Vikings were forced to punt on their next possession. And then the Saints took over at the Minnesota 30-yard line. Thanks to uh, the running of Hill, the Saints moved into field goal range. But uh, Daniel Hunter and then uh, I think it was Hunter who beat the Saints... Uh, pro tackle, I think it was Ryan Ramsick, and then reached Drew Brees for a strip sack, biggest sack of the game. Jalen Holmes recovered the fumble, and then that gave the Vikings a chance to put the Saints away. Instead, though, Minnesota called a run play that nearly quartered disaster. Kirk Cousins' pitch to Dalvin Cook had initially resulted in a fumble. The Saints recovered for a go-ahead touchdown that sent the Superdome into a frenzy, but then officials ruled Cook's Knee was down before he fumbled, but the play lost seven yards, and the Vikings went to cook again on the second down for a run. That lost two yards. So Cameron Jordan sacked Kirk Cousins on third down, forcing a pump that gave New Orleans one more chance to win. They drove it to the 31-yard line, and then Will Lutz kicked a 49-yard field goal to tie it at 20-20. And then that forced overtime. So the second overtime game in 24 hours, less than 24 hours in the wild card weekend, the Vikings 13-10 lead at halftime came courtesy of 103 rushing and receiving yards from Dalvin Cook, while Minnesota's pass rush kept Breeze from finding any time to work downfield. The Vikings moved Hunter and Everson Griffin into the middle of their defensive line on early third downs, where Griffin... Whip Patriots or excuse me Saints guard Andrews Pete and Stephen Weatherly uh, who rushed from defensive end positions and Drew Brees just threw for 63 yards in the first half really couldn't get anything going he hit eight of his first 12 attempts and then throwing an interception on an ill-advised attempt to get the ball to Michael Thomas downfield. The Saints went back to a play they used on Sunday night against the Vikings last year to set up their lone first-half touchdown. They put Taysom Hill, the backup quarterback, like I said, drawing the Vikings' defense toward the line of scrimmage in anticipation of a run before Hill threw a deep pass to Deontay Harris. Uh, The quarterback beat Xavier Rhodes with a double move while Harrison Smith arrived a split second too late from his shallow zone to break up the pass. It counted for 50 yards, and Hill threw a block on Alvin uh, Kamara's ensuing touchdown for a 10-3 lead. And then the Vikings seemed poised to tie the game, of course, driving to the Saints 1, but stalled on downs. And Dan Bailey kicked a 21-yarder, cutting the lead to 10-6. Then Anthony Harris turned the tide by intercepting Drew Brees on a long pass attempt from, uh, I think it was for Deontay Harris again, returning it 30 yards to the Saints' 45-yard line. With about two minutes left, and then the Vikings drove for Dalvin Cook's five-yard touchdown with 27 seconds remaining. New Orleans had a chance to tie heading into the locker rooms after Harris returned the kickoff for 54 yards to the Vikings' 45. Drew Brees would then hit Michael Thomas with a 20-yard pass to set up a 43-yard field goal for Lutz. But he missed it wide right. He doesn't have Dan Bailey, and uh, the second quarter ended. That's how halftime ended, and then New Orleans got an early break when Adam Thielen fumbled the ball away on his team's first possession and then Bell recovered it at the 40-yard line. The Saints settled for a 29-yard field goal from Lutz. The Vikings quickly tied it on a 43-yard field goal from Dan Bailey, old reliable. New Orleans beat uh, the Vikings in overtime in the NFC title game following the 2009 season when they had Brett Favre. They went on to win the Super Bowl. This year, the tides have turned. The Vikings upsetting the New Orleans Saints. At the Superdome. I'm 0 for 3 so far. I had the Patriots over the Titans. I had the Bills over the Texans. And I had the Saints over the Vikings. 0 for 3. Let's talk about Eagles, Seahawks from Philly, Lincoln Financial Field, where they have a statue of Nick Foles, the current quarterback of the Jacksonville Jaguars, outside of their stadium at Lincoln Financial. Let's talk about Eagles-Seahawks, but first, a quick word from TickPick. It's an exciting time of the year for sports, ladies and gents. Sophomore sensation Lamar Jackson is redefining what it means to be a dual-threat quarterback in the National Football League. Odds on Lamar Jackson to win the MVP race were at 50-1 to 1 to begin the season and have since plummeted making my bookies prop selection more attractive than ever and then on the 14th we had one of the most stacked ufc cards in a long time three championship fights all highly anticipated right in the betting capital of the world in las vegas nevada and without a doubt people are going to be looking to get in on the action we have the best place for you to go my bookie if you're the kind of guy who likes to bet a little to win a lot try a parlay for instance, if you like a couple of the big favorites this week, parlays are perfect because they let you bet multiple games together for a much bigger payout. My bookie has more lines and better odds for the player than any other sports book around. If you're looking to join right now, talking right now, my bookie will match your deposit halfway. All the way up to $1,000. That means if you deposit $2,000, you'll get an extra grand in free money to play with right now. All you have to do is use our promo code BLV, that's capital B-L-V, to activate the offer. Once again, that promo code is capital B-L-V to get your extra cash from MyBookie. Bet, win, get paid, MyBookie. So obviously the story coming out of this game is Carson Wentz getting knocked out cold by Jadavian Clowney. And Russell Wilson and the Seahawks picking up the scraps, knocking off the Philadelphia Eagles 17-9 in Philadelphia at Lincoln Financial Field. Russell Wilson throwing a 53-yard touchdown pass to D.K. Metcalf. Marshawn Lynch and his Skittles had a rushing score. And the Seahawks, again, beating the Eagles 17-9 in the wild card round of the NFC playoffs on Sunday night. So making his first career playoff start was Carson Wentz, and he only lasted two series before exiting with a head injury following a helmet to helmet hit from Clowney so Nick Foles wasn't around to rescue Philadelphia this time it was 40 year old veteran Josh McCown stepping in yep becoming the oldest quarterback to make his playoff debut but he couldn't lead the Eagles into the end zone once so three field goals mustered their nine points the Seahawks lost three of their final four games of the regular season, including a 26-21 loss at home against the 49ers in Week 17 that cost them the NFC West title. But then they traveled to Philadelphia for the second time in six weeks and became the third team to win on the road this season, improving to 8-1 and one away from home this season. So Russell Wilson threw for 325 yards, led them with 45 rushing yards of his own. Medcalf had seven catches for 160 yards, the Seahawks had a season-high seven sacks from six players. I mean, you can't say enough. Russell Wilson drove the Seahawks 82 yards late in the second quarter, and Marshawn Lynch powered in from, I think, the five-yard line to give them a 10 nothing lead. And then Russell Wilson connected with uh, DK Metcalf for 26 yards and David Moore for another 38 yards on third down. Uh, Catch and run passes that kept that drive going. And Josh McCown on the other side finally got the offensive going on the opening drive of the third quarter. He connected with Zach Ertz for 32 yards. Boston Scott ran for 15 yards to the five-yard line. But then there was a false start, fumbled snap, and then another sack. So Jake Elliott had a 26-yard field goal attempt that made it 10-6. And then the Seahawks answered pretty quickly. So I think it was Medkoff who stretched to catch Wilson's deep pass. That was arguably his best catch of the game and then got up and tumbled into the end zone for a 17-6 lead. He said that he caught the ball and didn't feel anyone touch him. He said he got back up and wanted a touchdown and he got that touchdown. He wanted it really bad and then that made it 17-9. So down 17-9, Doug Peterson passed up a 42-yard field goal attempt with about six and a half minutes remaining and went for it on fourth and four from the Seahawks 24. Miles Sanders couldn't catch Josh McCown's pass, so Philadelphia had another chance after Shelton Gibson, who was just signed earlier in the week, threw a 39-yard pass interference penalty to the Seahawks' 13, and then on fourth and seven from the 10 with two minutes left, Clowney sacked McCowan one more time. So Wentz was forced to watch from the sideline following knee surgery when Nick Foles led the Eagles to, the, to their franchise's first Super Bowl. You can see the trophy outside Lincoln Financial if you're in Philadelphia right now. He was out with a back injury last year when Foles led Philadelphia to a wild card game in Chicago, a wild card win, and then obviously losing a tough game in New Orleans. And now the Eagles were decimated by injuries throughout the season and had to rely on, I think, five offensive players off the practice squad during a four-game winning streak that sealed the NFC title. I mean, Boston Scott was phenomenal. And uh, Carson Wentz started all 16 games for the second time in his four seasons and played his best down the stretch with backup surrounding him. But, but he just couldn't finish. He, he finished the season injured the same as the previous two seasons in the postseason. Seattle had plenty of injuries, too. They lost running backs Chris Carson, Rashad Penny, and that forced them to sign Marshawn Lynch. So Seattle picks up the win, 17-9. to They're on to face the Green Bay Packers. So a lot of odd matchups this week. A lot of matchups I didn't predict. So on the AFC side, we're getting the Texans and the Chiefs, and then we are getting the Titans, and the Ravens, and then on the NFC side, we're getting the Seahawks and the Packers, and then on Saturday at 4.30, we are getting the Minnesota Vikings and the San Francisco 49ers. Should be a fun weekend. This was episode 136 or 137. I don't even know anymore. Of the O Show presented by Belly Up Sports. Remember, we are what they aren't. Make sure to use that promo code OSHO10 for $10 off your next order using TickPick.com. You should have used TickPick. And again, if you're into muscle building, if you're into banging weights, eating steaks, and sleeping eights, OSHO20, that gets you $20 off your next order using mechanutritionstore.com. Hit it, Hit it, Hootie.